Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Collecting Cars, the global online marketplace devoted to cars, bikes, and automobilia. A safe, smart, and simple auction experience for everyone. List for free, sell for free, hassle-free. Follow us on Instagram at Collecting Cars and also CollectingCars.com. Hello and welcome to another Collecting Cars podcast. Sorry we've been away for a while, but this does signal the beginning of a run of podcasts that are becoming in the next few months. Sorry, I've been a bit busy. Uh, and we only like to do them when we've got real quality, which doesn't actually make this one make sense because it's just me and Edward. I do apologise. Um, so this, here, is, this is quality. It is quality. So myself and Edward Lovett are sitting in the Collecting Cars office because, well, it's Halloween, isn't it? And we thought it'd be a great chance to share some of our users' horror stories with you. And then after that, well, we could have another seven-hour podcast when Edward discusses his horror story of a life with cars. <laughs> All right? Um, are you willing to do that or not? Uh, I, can, I can divulge a few. Yeah. Let's just say, if you, if you look at the significant cars in the UK and the numbers that are on the road, subtract two for most of them because Edward's written a couple of them off. Um, Thank you. Okay. So what we've got here in front of me is a list of stories submitted by your good selves. And I've not... I've not read these yet, so I'm going to read them blind. So if there's any swear words, I will, I'll try and brush over them. Um, but I love the idea of reading these blind because it reminds me of Terry Wogan doing Janet and John stories. And if you don't know what that is, go onto YouTube and type in Terry Wogan, Janet and John, because it's brilliant. Okay, I'll start with my first collecting cars horror story. As a sub-25-year-old salesman, I took a six-month-old GT86 home for the weekend. At this point, my only experience of rear-wheel drive was driving double-cab pickups. I did a few small first-gear road-end slides through the, throughout the weekend. Then on Monday morning, I gave it full-throttle launch out of the last T-junction before work, nicely sideways, as I thought to myself, oh, this is embarrassing, Chris Harris does this all the time. Kept the throttle fully open, clutch in, second gear, clutch out, backwards through the hedge. <laughs> a rear quarter and door needed replacing because it was pearl white. The whole car pretty much needed a respray to colour match. Then... 
out of the blue, a customer walked in and wanted a GT86 and would consider a Cat D one or anything. He was promptly sat down in an office until a price was agreed. So whoever that was, nicely in and out. <laughs> I have to say. So, so Edward, we're talking about vehicles that are either on SOR or belong to a car dealership that then get damaged. Would you have any stories like that? No, not on one on SOR, no. But uh, there's a few, few, few like that. I have a lot of respect for that guy. And, I think um, I feel I, the pain as well. well. Yeah. Well, well, I'll interject there because one of the great fears all of us has is the idea of the Ferris Bueller style. I gave my car to someone to either park it or service it. And I don't know what happened to it. And the only time it's ever happened to me, which wasn't, it wasn't a horror story, but it was an awkward moment, was I had an SL63 AMG, which was the normally aspirated one. Oh, I can't remember the number, the R something, something, something. It was, a nine, it was a 2009 car. It was a brilliant car. And I gave it to Mercedes Bristol to be serviced. And I need, it needed to be on a Monday morning. But I was away working. So I said, can I drop it off on Friday? But I wasn't leaving for work until the Sunday. And I went into Clifton Village to have a pint one evening and it was I think it was the summer and there was my SL63 with the roof down parked up outside a pub in Clifton <laughs> and, a, and as I was walking towards it a bloke just confidently walked back into it got in it started it up and I thought I'm not going to say anything let's see how he does he got in it looked around smiled at a few people of the opposite sex and then just screamed up the road in it and I just thought you chopsy bastard <laughs> so, so, and I, so I, went, I went and did my job came back on the Tuesday or the Wednesday and said to the DP so what's that all about and, uh, and he just went well you know sometimes people will take a car into Bristol I said well no they, they won't it's not on really they were road testing it they, maybe they were but I just, it was a bit weird it was a bit like going out for a drink and seeing your girlfriend <laughs> out with another bloke it was a bit odd anyhow Google um, Lamborghini Aventador Crash Monaco uh, oh, that yeah. was yours, wasn't yeah, it? That was, yeah. I wasn't driving it. <clears throat> okay, right. Here we go. So I'm driving back to the boarding house in my first car for the essential piano lesson before my grade six exam later in the day. Are you driving at boarding school? Okay. At this point, it's worth noting that I'm a cocky teenager who has been watching too much of the Fast and Furious franchise. I'm in my first car, a distastefully modified Peugeot 205 with flip blue metallic paint, a bike exhaust, and neons. I struggled to keep the hordes of Swedish supermodels at bay in 2011. <laughs> with over 60 horsepower on tap from the 1.1-litre engine, I joined a dual carriageway at snail's pace and forced the chap behind me to brake hard. He gives me the finger, and I simply smile and give him the thumbs up. Unfortunately, we quickly reach a red light. He stops his car, gets out, and I can see him walking over in my rearview mirror. I go to wind my driver window down, but the mechanism fails. This burly brute leans through my window and punches me in the face with considerable force. <laughs> Luckily, some witnesses alert the authorities and the chap is later given a police warning. Struggled to read Chopin's work with a black eye, but still managed to secure my grade six. That is wonderful. And it's also beautifully written. Beautifully written. Whoever, whoever that was, can you send me a direct message on Instagram? Because uh, you need to do some writing. Because that's a fantastic piece of writing. Um, I love that. That's really, really good. Actually, yeah, act, random acts of violence on the road. Well, you, I, you've, uh, you've had this recently. I've had, yeah, someone offered me out outside of school because I let my dog out of a door and he was driving too fast. And I said, you're driving too fast and hit my dog. And he, he replied by saying he's going to punch me in the face. But that's, that's the way it is. I think the best one that I can remember that I was involved in, which is it's embarrassing, is, is one of those instances when, when you forget how unthreatening the vehicle you're in is. And if you're angry, no matter how big you are inside the vehicle, you're in something silly. So I was, some, someone cut me up or did something not very pleasant or that I objected to 
20 something years ago on the A329 near Bracknell I remember on the Bracknell GP the cut through between the A3 yeah. and the M4 and um, this bloke was in a big fast saloon car and I, I won't say what I was in at this point so he's cut me up and I'm very much aggrieved and I made the mistake of being quite close behind him because he really has been a complete weapon and um, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit behind him I'm going to intimidate him which of course is pathetic and no one should do it but that's what one does in a stupid situation and I wouldn't do that now hasten to add anyhow what I forgot was that I was in a let's say a very small car so anyhow we pulled up at some lights and I was there bristling and he got out of the car and he came back behind me with tears running down his face and he said look mate I know you think that you're intimidating me but have you seen what you're in I was in a Daihatsu Avanzato Dangang ZZ or something it was basically a, a K car a Japanese K car 660cc that is about half as wide as a car and he just couldn't take me seriously and he just he, kept, he was crying with laughter he was laughing at me he just said I know you're angry and he almost admitted I had a right to be angry but he said have you seen what you're in so we often forget the vehicle we're in just doesn't present any kind of danger. But like if you're in a if you're in a murdered out Range Rover, maybe. But I was in a K car. I could have been Jeff Capes in there. It made no difference. I just looked like a pillock. Uh, here we go. Here's another one. I once had to pick up a black Lamborghini Gallardo Spider with straight pipes and gold wheels for the rental company I worked for at the time. I had to bring the car back to New York City from Long Island. I made it to the toll booth before the Midtown Tunnel when I realised I had no toll, pass and no cash. That's a nightmare. I've had that happen. So I was the guy with the top down in a super loud Lamborghini who had held up an entire line of traffic so the cops could write me a ticket for no toll. Even the cops were like, what the hell, man? Do you know what? That sense of utter doom that we've all had when you're at the payage and you've, <laughs> left, no your, and you've left your card at the previous service station, that, that's hellish. In terms of what's your worst... France payage autoroute story about being caught short or being normally your right hand drive and the tolls on the left and you drop the money down. And well, then you... uh, no, uh, normally the worry is the, the 500 metres coming towards the toll is did any police spot me between the last toll and this toll yeah, and they're they're like, are waiting they're... for me. Actually, I've been, I've been pretty lucky with that. I've got some good French stories. I'm not sure they're. No. I can tell many of them here. In, in 2000, I went to a wedding in the south of France, in a Ferrari 456. It was the UK press car. Now, they had a strict rule in those days that if you borrowed a Ferrari press car, you could only do 500 miles in it. And obviously, south of France and back is more. So I begged and, and borrowed and said, look, can I take this car down there if I do a story and we get a story in Autocar magazine? And I was, um, I was lucky enough to be lent in the car. I loved it. I still want one now. It's the reason I want a 456M GT manual because I just think they're great cars. And I remember that trip. So I drove down, it was myself, two other people, and I was a road tester in Autocar. I was, I was skinned. People will not believe that, but I was skinned. And my credit card had a £700 limit and was always just about to burst. We were in a brand new Ferrari 456 at a service station just south of Aix-en-Provence, and I, I ran out of money. I had no means. None of us in the car had any means of putting fuel in this car. And we were, it just looked so obviously like we'd stolen it. So I went to the, I'd filled it up with petrol, then my card bounced. The other two people had no means of paying for it either. In those days, you, you know, you could hand a tax disc in in the UK, couldn't you? But yeah. in France, you couldn't. And they called the gendarme. They just said, this doesn't, you've stolen that car, haven't you? So we were stuck there for hours just trying to explain how it was a press car. I was a journalist, but I, I, no, it didn't snack up. And of course, one forgets that when you're a young journalist... You can't, sometimes you look like you've got all the cash, but you can't afford to actually put fuel well, in the car. you cars. still look like that now. I know. Are uh, you, if on a right-hand drive car at a toll, 
now you're getting older, do you get out of the car? I, I always, I, I think, I, I, I always prepare myself to drive up to the toll slowly. So the language of my vehicle says, "Don't get behind me because I'm going to be slow." So I don't feel under pressure. I get out, I walk round, and I put it in manually, and I get out again. Leaning across is. You pull something. Was there you? an age change? I, I used to do the lean across, and now I realise I that I, I'm, it hurts my back. Early twenties. So early. The other yeah. thing is, you remember those things you had as a kid, the the little mechanical hands yeah. with, the, with the claw. <laughs> yeah. I still have one of those in the five twelve because that's that I can that still you can do it. I can get the card. I can get, but I can't pay for it with it. But I always lean. I use that to get the card out. I was always so competitive. I'm approaching the toll. There's another car with me. All right, how do I get in the toll? Get the card in, pay before he can go through as well. well. You, I know you're. I, I I grew out of that when I was about 22, but you're still doing that I'm, now. I'm aren't still you? trying. Yeah. Right here we go. This story didn't happen to me. It happened to my dad in France around 1990 when he was in his mid 20s. So please forgive his inevitable romanticised exaggerations. My dad grew up loving field archery and going to competitions as a team with friends, and this is going to be interesting, and got his licence at 18 for the sole reason of getting to competitions on his own. He took it upon himself to fix up his dad's already old and worn-out Citroen Type H van. My granddad warned him, this thing is old, unreliable, and I won't travel halfway across the country to pick you up whenever it inevitably breaks down. You'll be on your own with nothing but the clothes on your back. My granddad has never been tender, but always incredibly wise. Years later, my dad was driving up a mountain pass between the French and Italian Alps and on his way to a competition near Milan in the now much older, more worn down and still very much French-engineered Type H van. Halfway up, his engine temperature starts to get close to the red zone, but he isn't worried about it yet. The road is steep and the steed is old. Suddenly, the temperature increases sharply. The engine, positioned just below the cabin, starts to heat up the floor under my dad's feet. Then came the steam, which quickly billows out the front. My dad pulls over, he lets the engine cool down for half an hour in the, air, in the alpine air and takes a look at the engine bay. Nothing seems to be broken. Indeed, nothing was broken, as he soon realised the, be- the, the accessory belt had snapped clean off. It being the early 90s and the middle of the mountains, my dad didn't have anyone to call, and certainly not his father, whose wisdom was only a match for my dad's resourcefulness. This is beautifully written, I love this. Then he remembered, nothing but the clothes on your back. He took it in his stride, pulled his trousers and pants down, but only pulled his trousers back up. He ripped the waistband from his boxes, which consequently became his new accessory belt. (laughs) The fix held for the rest of the trip. And on that day, my dad gave a new definition to going commando (laughs) in competitive bow hunting. That is legendary. Again, whoever wrote that, can you please send me a note on Instagram because you need to be doing some more writing. That's lovely. (laughs) Going commando. There's a good one. Fixes on the hoof. Well, I was going to ask, what, what cars do you leave home in thinking... It will be remarkable if I finish this journey. Um, for me, I hate to say it was always Alfa Romeos that we worked with and TVRs. TVRs were just unbelievable as a, as a journalist. They just never worked. They were, they were always break down. I can remember... Did you look forward to collecting them and starting the journey, however? But by the end, no, because you just knew something was going to go wrong. It's the only car I've ever been locked in. I couldn't get out. I mean, the, everything failed on a, on a Cerbera. I was sitting in a service station at, um, near Teddington... And I was just at the pump for ages, and the guy came out to say, "Can you move on, please? Because, we, you know, you, you're taking, you've been here 20 minutes." And I was shouting, "I'm, lo- I'm locked in!" And he was just getting angrier and angrier, saying, "You, you've got to get out." Well, is, I can't. Is there any modern cars that would still worry you? Not Bra- brand no. new cars. No. Range Rover. 
I, I do see some Land Rover product by the side of the road <laughs> that does seem to does seem. To, but your your Defender's been good, hasn't it? Now that's that's fine. But I've seen brand new Range Rovers stopped on the A4 coming into London yep. with poor ladies coming out of them with them stopped in the middle yep. of the road. And I've seen a few, quite a few discoveries as well yep. like that. What car? But if you had to flip it on its head, what car do you think is unstoppable? I've got a Land Cruiser V8 Amazon. 140,000 miles but I didn't buy on collecting cars because there wasn't one on collecting cars um, and I think even at that age it feels like it would it, nothing would stop it yeah, Land Cruiser they're pretty good aren't they they seem to go on forever but oh, a Geldervagen yeah, Geldervagen Galandervagen 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 sorry yeah but yeah. yours is yours is green and chavy okay here we go it was um, that was a lovely one here we go well done Max for writing that yeah no <laughs> This is, a, this is a very, very long one. It simply reads, I was given a Rover Metro as a gift. And then... <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? A Rover Metro wasn't a bad thing because a Rover Metro was, was, a, um, was probably K-series engine car and therefore wasn't too bad. It was, the, it was the one with the A-series that was supposed to replace the Mini that was... Just all kinds of wrong. It might have not been a new one. It might have been a rusty one. It could have, yeah. But they were, they were good. With the K-Series, they were fun little cars. But the, the, the A-Series one, I know some people still love them. I, I couldn't get on with those. When I used to get in trouble, back in, when I was a boy, and uh, I had a driving licence, but I would normally be punished by giving a very bad car that didn't work properly. So once I was given an E30 BMW 318, which was definitely one of those cars that was going to die... And there was a staff party one evening, and I had to go and do some drop someone off in Bath, I think. And uh, I just knew it was, it was about 38 degrees outside, no aircon in this thing. And I just knew this was not going to get me home. Five hours later, I, <laughs> I eventually turned out. <laughs> so there are some cars, even if they're a gift, you just prefer no, not to have them. No, um, I've, I've been given cars in the past. For people that have emigrated, cheap sort of runners, uh, and, uh, station cars, and they've cost me thousands because I've forgotten to tax them or change the registration document. I remember standing, I remember standing in the magistrate's court at Cardiff, no Swansea magistrate court, explaining why a mate, honestly, a mate gave it to me and I forgot to tax it. And I was standing there thinking, why am I doing this? <laughs> right, here we go. After just making it to a four-day festival in Cornwall with my Suzuki carry van, my mate and I ensued to party as you would. The time to leave came around too quickly and we were still in the heady days. The old reliable carry got us off the field after sheltering us for the last night of torrential rain. We got to the T-junction to leave the grounds with a huge queue behind us and the stewards everywhere. We were convinced that we needed to go right. We did, not need, we did not need to go right, so made an adjustment before the briefest of checks to go left. At this point, a long wheelbase transit slapped me like a fly into a ditch. The stewards took one look at our terrified and somewhat festival-damaged faces inside and encouraged us to leave as quickly as possible before the arrival of the police, who were less than a mile away. That's a conundrum. The stewards and other random people all helped rock the van back onto four wheels. We exchanged definitely legitimate insurance details and fled. Thank God the carry's first gear had absolutely no torque. Otherwise, I think I'd have had no legs. We didn't stop until we found a fry-up on the outskirts of Portsmouth and stressed chain smoke the whole way home. Might take it easier on the last night next time. That's beautiful as well. I'm enjoying these. Um, right, I'll tell, you, um, I'll tell you a horror story of mine. It's not actually... It's a horror story about a car. It's not actually about me in a car. 
So, and the person that told me this will probably be listening to this and might want to correct it, but this is my, my recollection of what he told me. He was working in, I think, the late 80s for Peugeot as, I suspect, some kind of regional warranty um, uh, employee. So he was overseeing warranty claims and understanding you know, what needed doing. And I suppose doing that for a French car company in the late 80s was quite a busy job because, let's say, they, were, they made some great cars dynamically, but the build quality wasn't brilliant. Now, many of you will know that the difference between a 1.6 and a 1.9 GTI Peugeot inside is that the leather bolsters on a 1.9 um, are leather or leatherette, and on a, on a 1.6, they're cloth. Um, so uh, a 1.9 GTI was considered far more luxurious because it had this bit of cow where your thighs rubbed. Anyhow, there was a batch of cars that came into the UK that had funny leather, and they had a sort of rough texture to it. And... Um, Peugeot couldn't work out what it was in the UK. They thought, well, we need to do something about it. I think they battered a load of customers off until one customer worked out what was going on. Um, there was hair growing out of the leather because it was <laughs> so poorly cured and of such poor quality. It was still sprouting hair from the beast it had once been. <laughs> but to confirm this, they had to leave the car out back for a bit to, see, to monitor it, to see if it, if it grew or not. And I did. I also heard someone else tell me about this, and there was there was there was some thought of shaving it and giving it back to the customer. <laughs> that was that was another person who told me a similar story. He said because I, I told I said I've heard that before. Is that we were thinking about whether you should just give it a bick and a bit of aftershave balm and hope it stopped growing. <laughs> but there you go. The idea of, of a, a, a Peugeot that that grows a beard whilst you're driving it that for me is a horror story. Lovely. Right here we go. Oh, I like this one. I saw the word girlfriend. By the way, yeah, we're reading these blind. So they are as much of a shock to me as they are to you. And also, I, um, I apologise if my reading isn't so good, I can't scan ahead. When I pulled up outside my girlfriend's house that day, I didn't expect to fall victim of the local spotted Facebook group. Oh, God, that scares me. It seems my parking that day fell a little short of the high usual standards. No matter, I was only nipping in, I thought. However, within a moment of my arrival, some busybody had taken a picture of my Audi TT, posting it on the spotted Facebook group with the caption, Look at this for parking. The post quickly gained traction much like the TT, uh, which rattled me, particularly as I was alerted to this by my girlfriend herself, who appeared to enjoy the deep shame I was now feeling for parking like a moron. As I scrolled through the comments on the picture, I started to see people saying unkind things about me. Social media for you. That twat would have needed to book a taxi to the curb from there, being a particularly well-liked comment. <laughs> much great hilarity was being made of my shoddy parking. The comments were rolling in, and I began to type out a reply. So enraged was I in the mess I'd created. It was at this point that I saw a comment on the picture which really struck me down. Saw him get out of the car, young guy, shit haircut. Bet that car was paid for out of the bank of mummy and daddy. Ooh, it's all coming out. Well, that really got to me, and it was partly true. I'd taken a loan from my dad to buy the car. But what was wrong with my haircut? It, all made, me, it, all, it made it all feel very real. I was not only being watched, but now being cyber-bullied. I'd gone round to my girlfriend's for a cup of tea and wound up the laughing stock of the entire village. It was at this point I realised my only option was to delete my Facebook account and never speak again of this online, deal, online ordeal. I've since taken great care whenever parking to get as close to the curb as possible, which has resulted in many a chipped alloy. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I, I totally sympathise. We've all done that. The idea of being watched. I mean, I, as you can imagine, I get a few people that take photographs of me in cars. And my parking is not very good sometimes. I don't, I'd rather leave it six inches further out than I should do than risk a curb oil. I don't want a curb wheel. Who wants I, a curb wheel? I hate curb wheels. Here we go. 
I took my W123 wagon to the car wash en route to a first date from Hinge. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Where's Hinge? James Sharp, is that you? Where's Hinge? Um, Hinge, is a is that da- Hinge is a dating app. Is it? Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll, why we'll do you log spell, on Why is this. Hinge spelled with an M? Unfortunately, the sunroof isn't quite as watertight as the previous owner had me believe, and I proceeded to be stoked for the next five minutes using my jumper to hide the few electric components. Despite a hazy trip to the restaurant bathroom, I can't help but think my date thought I'd wet myself with excitement, and I never saw her again. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yes, so taking cars on first dates and then misbehaving. I don't have any of those because my, suddenly my romantic life isn't that exciting, but there must be people. We need some more stories sent in. First date cars. First date cars when it's gone badly wrong. Mm. I had a Nissan Sunny 1.4 LX, so I think I generally disappointed before, before they'd even <laughs> seen me. <laughs> I know, oh, oh, here he is. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know someone, I know this is a Do, fact. Doesn't, this doesn't is, your father run car dealerships? <laughs> this, is a, this is a family podcast, but I know a man who was um, in an early 80s 911 and was, um, had found a quiet country spot with uh, a lady who was uh, equally keen to road test the vehicle <laughs> with him. And um, they, were getting, they were getting down to business and the vehicle began to roll quite significantly, at which point he had to admit to her that the handbrake cable had snapped. So he stopped with his trousers around his ankles <laughs> and put a rock behind the back wheel so he could carry <laughs> And he's listening to this and he'll know exactly who he is. Right. I picked up a Volvo 244 from Yorkshire. Five-hour road trip with the boys in my dad's five series. Arrived, car looked great. Quick burger at a local and back on the road. As it starts raining, I reach for the wipers, which are not working. Cue my best mate George spending the next seven hours, max speed 60 mph in fourth gear, leaning out the sunroof, using the squeegee to rhythmically clear the water from the windscreen so I could navigate the M40. Once safely home, George in the midst of hypothermia, the seller texts me, wipers only work if the key is five degrees clockwise of ignition. Great bloke. <laughs> <laughs> I like these. All right, here we go. I like a car with a little quirk of it sort of something doesn't work properly, but you don't want to fix it because it sort of gives the car a bit of personality. But that was that was a to come back to, to TVR. That was one of Peter Wheeler's best ideas: the idea of not having buttons with with any sort of denoted function in them, almost personalised to the owner. It was quite clever in terms of security. It meant that if you tried to steal a mid nineties TVR. 
you actually wouldn't have a Scooby-Doo what you were doing. I mean, it would, it would be very difficult. You'd, you'd be able to turn the key, but the rest of it would be totally baffling. You'd yeah. turn the lights on or anything, unless you knew that car. Well, or, or classic cars, you know, cars from the 30s, 40s, 50s, etc. No, none of the buttons said what they do. So no. m- m- most of them have little white, uh, little stickers above them selling you wipers, starter. Well, so I, I can't often leave that 512TR of mine. I leave it out on the street. And some people will say, well, do you not worry about it getting nicked? And I say to them, well, it's done so many miles anyway, it's worthless. And also, the, um, the idea of someone getting in it, it's got a dog-leg gearbox, so they probably put it in second and stall it straight away. It won't, actually, you can't get it into second until it's hot, so you probably start it in third. They wouldn't have a clue how to drive it. And if it was wet, they'd just be through the first hedge. It's absolutely <laughs> lethal in the wet. Here we go. Right. I love a mule, not the animal, that's not dissimilar to a horse donkey, but the wedgy shoe, kind of tricky to walk in, but fashionable every few years. I'm never one to taking advice, especially about the appropriateness of footwear for driving. So when my boyfriend intimated that they were probably not the most suitable for driving my newly acquired Renault 4 TL umbrella gear shift, I'm liking this already. The fact I'd only just passed my test might have had a bearing on it. So when I said I was popping to the local grocery store in my lovely new mules, and he said, don't drive in those things, I dismissed the advice with a middle finger. Now the Renault was on the drive, an angle of 45 degrees to my boyfriend's very nice 944 Lux. So a very simple manoeuvre to reverse, straighten up the car and back out the drive, not in mules. In a flash, both came adrift. I had no idea which foot was where or where the mules had gone. I'm not even sure they were on my feet as the Renault lurched back and its little chrome bumper created an extra crease in the rear wing of the Porsche. How do you admit you should have taken the advice? You don't. You deny everything for as long as possible. (laughs) I learned to drive in a Renault 4. Did you? Yeah, umbrella gear shift. I almost crashed it trying to figure out how to get it from second into third. Quite a weird. Well, I had a, well, I, I had one doing a Top Gear film, didn't I? That I loved to bits, and I did repatriate it. And people were expecting me to put it on the road, but sadly, the shell was too badly damaged. So I have got the vehicle; it's here, but I can't register it on the road. So it's a field car now. But well, I, you still have the Renault Four. I've got the one from. We, I bought it back from Nepal. Oh yeah, I, I, I forgot. And I, but I, that, but yeah. I can't register it. Um, and I because it's just too gone. It's just it's knackered. Oh, we bring off of more stories. Bring off of more stories. Story is it good? I'm all, I'm all howling without. Is this is this, would you, is this good? Yeah. Okay, right. Um, oh, so crashes on driveways. Crashes on driveways. Yeah. Um, and I'm not talking about stately home drivers. I'm talking about small farmyard yeah. driveways. So dealer forecourts as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Same I'm, thing. When I'm when I was very young, this is this is a Halloween horror story for me. I was. I had a 205 XS, so I'd have been 18, 19. First reasonably quick car I'd ever owned. I just loved the thing. Gone up to my mate's house, and they had a they had a driveway that you went up, you went up a get up through a gate, and then you you only, only went up a hill about 40 yards. There was a right turn. That was the bit of driveway in front of the house. Then you turned right again, effectively down a square, and there was another gate to leave. Both gates were always open, and I would drive up, park my car, see my mate, and then just drive back out again at the other gate. So I had my new car, drove in, parked up, and as I left, I thought, I'm going to show off, do a wheel spin, and I, I absolutely screamed around the little right-hand corner. I went down, and the gate was closed for the first time ever. <laughs> and I just piled straight into a gate. So it, what it looked like from the outside was, I drove flat out from 40 yards into a gate. I absolutely wrecked the front of the car and the gate. It was despicable. So my, um, I, I always wanted to get driving pretty quickly. My sister had a Nissan Micra, and she went on holiday. 
and my parents very kindly let a few of my school friends come over and, and I think they might might have bought us some what was the what were the first sort of alco pop drinks Mad Dog 2020 or something I can't remember they bought us some alcohol it was very friendly no, you'd have been Smirnoff Ice but yeah, yeah Smirnoff Ice they, yeah. Bought, they bought us something like that and it was very very kind of them so they went to the opening of a local golf club and left me and the, the school guys there and I think we were, I guess we were 15 or 16 years old by this stage the Smirnoff Ice I thought this is not good enough so we went back to the back of the booze cupboard if we went right to the back of the booze cupboard they, they never touched that stuff <laughs> no one ever touches the stuff right at the back of the booze cupboard so we did a few shots of that and decided to launch the Nissan Micra down the uh, driveway first tree bang <laughs> there we go um, bring bring local golf club could I speak to uh, Mr. Lovett please <laughs> They uh, came back and, um, yeah, my father can lift up a whole car <laughs> whilst he's angry with his son. There we go. I was making mistakes before I even uh, learned to drive properly. There we go. <laughs> we all know women have a reputation for curbing wheels. Um, I don't agree with that. A cliche, but like all cliches, it's probably based on fact. No, it's not. But we'll keep reading. A new set of rims for the BMW 330 Cabriolet in the early 2000s were about £1,000. I know this because that's what I had to pay to replace all four hexagonal shaped wheels on my wife's car. They look fantastic, should last another couple of years at least. I hadn't banked on the intervention of the mother-in-law. Starting to sound a bit like Bernard Manning here, you are. Now, how kind to offer to babysit for a week, flying in from Ireland, no problem, you can use my car. What a generous wife. I wasn't convinced. I, might have, I must have some sort of psychic powers. All four wheels demolished in a week. Not even slightly. There was barely any paint left on them. <laughs> I, I still have this thing that I feel, I feel less guilty in myself if I have a massive crash in a car, which I, haven't, I don't tend to do, than if I curb a wheel. There's something about curbing a wheel that's just in my head is listed as the ultimate sin because I always view it as the ultimate avoidable incident. If you'd just slowed down and taken time and not hurried, you wouldn't have curbed the yeah. wheel. It's inconceivable that you'd have curbed the wheel. Therefore, it's, a, it's a, always an avoidable incident. Unless there's a, a curbstone that's fallen out, in which case I have some sympathy. But otherwise, you can avoid it. I think I, I look at the cars around What's London. What's the worst wheel you've ever curbed? Ooh. I'm not sure. I, it, it's not so. I, I don't curb wheels very often, but I do feel very sorry for the women in our lives, my mother, wife included, when they've curbed a wheel. Because I don't, their immediate thought is not, oh shit, I've, I've curbed a wheel. It's, what's he going to say? <laughs> <laughs> the worst wheel I've ever curbed was on an E39 M5. So the, we'd driven the car auto car we'd road tested the car in at the launch um in austria and the village we we took photos in i remember was called rimsting which i always thought was quite a painful sounding village in austria and we came back a couple of months later and we wanted to do a road test in autocar magazine and there were no cars in the uk they, they weren't there weren't any right-hand drive cars but frank sittner had a left-hand drive car that had been lent to him by bmw m that he was using his personal car with fs1 on it and Frank liked autocars, so he lent us the car. And it had very early E39 M5s, had a, had a, sort of a really lovely smoke-finished oh, alloy. Beautiful, yeah. It was really cool colour, but it was actually a, it was a very thick paint that, was, that could chip. So I had this car the night before we were supposed to film it. I went down to Bristol to show my mates, and I curbed the wheel. 
and there were no other wheels in the country for this thing. And I was so mortified. I spent the whole night thrashing around trying to paint this thing, trying to sand, I'd do anything I could. I, I've, I've honestly, I felt, I felt worse than I have about the bereavement of most of my family about that <laughs> wheel. I don't know why, I don't know, it just completely got to me. It's helplessness. I didn't sleep, I thrashed around. And I remember saying to my boss, I think it was Sutcliffe at the time, I was mortified and his reaction was just, yeah, you know, it's just a wheel. I think he's. I think once you've seen that someone's beaten themselves up enough, you don't want to lean in. Yeah. But if you see that, if you see they, if you think they're too relaxed about the damage they've caused, then you lean in, don't you? Maybe that's the way it works. What about a carbon fiber wheel? I think they're. I would. They're for the waste, aren't they? If you. Curb I think one. if you curb one of those, you have to throw it away, don't yeah, you? I nice. wouldn't. I wouldn't want to curb a wheel on an SF ninety. They must be five, six. <laughs> they will be. <laughs> right. So before we go, a couple of things. I want to ask. We've not done this for a while. What do you think of that new Countach that Lamborghini's done? I haven't seen it in the flesh. What do you think of the pics? They look okay, I, and it's the sort of car I, I'd love to buy. But I just can't keep up with the value of these things. No. What are they asking for it? Is it, oh, it must be three, three or four million dollars or is something. It? Oh, no, it's, it's something ludicrous. It's, it's not an enhanced um, Aventador. Or, no, it's a, it's a Cyan, isn't it? Is that what it is? I think it is, but yeah. mostly cyan, isn't yeah. it? I, I just, I just don't understand the value of these things. The Lamborghini is an interesting brand. I, I've Although one thing I would say is, it, I'm totally in love with the LP400 now, an original one. And oh, wouldn't you? Yeah, they I deserve think. to be worth all the money, don't they? they, they what do. are they now? They're well they're, over a million quid. Yeah. But I, I just think it's just, it's just beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, I saw Simon Kidston's got sort of purple colour one. He's got a purple one. I think it was 77 UFO on it as the registration number. And he found a year or so ago a car in a container um, in the UAE somewhere. And it had been smashed up and put in there 30 years ago. And they brought it back um, to Italy and have totally restored it in the most incredible blue paint with with blue leather. And I think it's just been shipped off back to, to the UAE. I think they're gorgeous cars. Their Lamborghini interests me at the moment because I've just driven the Huracan STO. Most of their modern cars I don't really get. But I just loved it from the moment I got in it. Two-wheel like, drive? Two-wheel drive. It's got paddles, but actually, you know, it, that engine wouldn't work with a, with a manual gearbox because of the way it revs and the ratios. So I didn't miss the manual gearbox at all. Absolute yobbo. You can really slide it around in a way that the previous performante style things in the Balbonis, you just couldn't. They felt like four-wheel drive cars that had their drive shafts removed. The steering never quite... The, sp- the speed of the steering never seemed to sync with your brain and the way the chassis works. I don't know how to explain that, but they were very snappy cars. But this one was just glorious. I mean, it looks like a cartoon. It looks absurd. Yeah, which is what Lamborghini's all about. Yeah, they should be. Yeah. I just, I, As a brand, there's so much that they, they could do. But they, they always seem to be stopped short. And Ferrari's smashing it at the moment with so many different models. And we've still got, uh, you know, they're still flogging the Aventador. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that must is... be it. Well, they've just launched the final version of that, haven't they? The... Yeah. But what the, else uh, could they do? You say they could do so much. Like... Well, I just think the brand can support so much. I think Lamborghini is a name. I was watching Formula One with my youngest last weekend or whenever the turkey race was. And he, was, he loves Ferrari. He was saying, I, I love Ferrari. Then he said, why don't Lamborghini do Formula One? You know, that's, that name surely must be in Formula One. He's right; it should be in Formula One. It's it's, it's synonymous with everything that Ferrari is doing as well. I think it's, it 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 operates at that same level of exoticism 
Um, I told him that Lamborghini did make Formula One engines for a while. They just weren't very good. Uh, they're all going to fall into this trap of electrification and hybrids. And Are they going to master it? Well, you've driven the Scion. You thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah, but the, the electricity in the Scion is used to smooth out the gear shifts. That's pretty much it. It doesn't actually operate as a hybrid. It's just a, it's, it's a way of smoothing a, a gearbox, really. It gives you a sort of pulse of electricity between gear shifts. It's, it's a lovely thing, but it's not, it's not going to save the planet. No. Um, it might save your gearbox. The SF90 is, is a clever thing, and I gather it's becoming a bit more popular now. But the but the the money that they're expensive half Fun. a million quid. Yeah. So, but what are they? Are they back from half a million quid now or not? They will be, yeah. And there's plenty of them for sale. Are they? Yeah. It's a it's a it's a good looking car. It's a, but there's no there's no luggage space. But the, you know this is a production Ferrari for half a million quid. You know the, the game's moved on. You know a, a, a four thirty when I was selling those new they were they were one hundred and twenty five grand. Oh no. So, um, so, so it is. It is a. It's a different world. I don't know. I just think that we've. These hybrid cars seem to just carry so much weight around. I'm not sure it fits with with um with what a sports car should be. I, I almost. People either need to decide they're either going to make an ICE car that weighs so little it has a tiny carbon footprint. You know, you could imagine a sport if you could make a sports car that weighed 600 kilograms and actually did 80 miles to the gallon. That would be that would be clever, and I think would resonate with people, and, yeah. and would be not guilt-free, but would carry with it a lot less guilt. Or do you just make electric-only? Someone needs to make an electric-only sports car. What's that thing called? The McGurk or the Maguire? I always forget the thing. That tiny little black bullet-shaped thing that was at Goodwood going up the hill that sounded like a vacuum cleaner. I saw that in the flesh. At a that is a little single-seater thing. Yeah, it's it's been made near Bristol. No, I I, I, I met the guy. We that, to talk about that. That yeah. is an amazing vehicle. Yeah. that's what it for me. That's what it's all about. That's the most forward-looking thing I've seen in in years. Yeah, I, the moment I saw it, I thought that's what we should be doing. Why are we making? We're electrifying everything and trying to be efficient, and it, and it weighs eighteen hundred kilograms. Yeah. That that defeats the whole point. Weight is the ultimate marker of inefficiency in any vehicle. Can you hear a dog barking? Is that my dog? No, I don't think it. It doesn't sound like your dog. Um, so, yeah, I mean, electric cars, Tesla at the moment, I can't. Tesla sales in August was over 700 cars in the UK. I mean, they're just unstoppable at the moment, aren't they? Because it seems that way. Everyone seems to want one. What do you think of the Model Y? This is the smaller hatchback small one. X. Yeah, yeah. I, saw, I saw them out in Canada at the, uh, last week. You know, they. I, I, I like the look of a Tesla. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure. Would I'd you like have the, one? No, I don't think I would. I, the, the UK infrastructure for electric cars just doesn't work. You know, we, we have a BMW i3 in London, which is perfect because you can fit four adults in it. We've got three kids, so they all fit in. Um, that, that's the only electric car I need right now. Yeah. Little, there's quite a few of the little Honda I's, uh, Honda E's driving around. They look brilliant. I, yeah. I, I don't need a full electric saloon car in, um, in the UK. Well, I'm about to buy... I'll say it now. I'm about to buy a, my first hybrid. I'm not going to say what it is, but on a on a future podcast, I will come back and discuss my. Don't give it away, please. I, 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 I will discuss my um, my hybrid experiences because I'm fascinated to know what it's like. But at the moment, it doesn't work for me. And I came from Bristol today. I don't do too many super long journeys in of that type. But if I was in an electric car today, I would really struggle to get there and back without massive interruption to my journey. Yeah. But I'm going to try. It's interesting coming coming back from uh, from Canada yesterday. We were on one highway and there, was, there were eight lanes either side, and you could see, you know they are so far away from getting the world onto electric over there. And I think they've just stopped the um, effectively the MOT out there, so they're they're not that fussed about trying to get 
um, combustion engines off the road at the moment. Well, if you've got a few million acres of shale oil, gas and stuff hidden underneath your your um, the surface of your territory, then I can understand why you're yeah. not. I mean, I don't know. That's a broader argument. And China's non-appearance at this summit uh, and its massive push to use as much coal over the next year because it's got an energy shortage coming up over the winter, it does it does make the hand-wringing of, of many people in Europe look a bit ridiculous. But the counter-argument is someone's got to be a leader. Someone's, you know, some nations have got to put a stake in the ground and say we can't carry on like this. And I, I totally understand that. Yeah. But it's quite difficult to justify going all electric and doing everything for the right reasons if you look at what's going on in other countries. Absolutely. Particularly if, you know, China is the largest polluter by a, such a long way. Shouldn't go into this too much in this podcast. But if it makes you think, well, why should we bother? But if that's the case, then everyone, everyone, there are no rules and no laws and everyone's doing the wrong thing for too long. But what's, what's telling is, I think we're just at that tipping point where electric cars are going to become, start, start becoming real fun. They're going to, they're, people are going to make fast, amusing electric cars. And then I think our attitude will change towards them. When you, if you go and drive a Tesla Roadster again now, an electric Elise effectively, yeah. great fun car. But no one's made that car yet, have they? No one's made it. It can't be that far off. Who's got the first one coming that's, I think the, that's affordable? I think the Boxster, well, if you say affordable, I think the new Boxster will be, will be electric. Fully electric. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, that could be the one. That'll be so fast, so agile. You just know it's going to be good. That racing vehicle that they showed about a month ago as a concept. Any manufacturer that uses the word concept, that means we're going to make it. Yeah. So that's going to be the first step. Um, Okay, well, I think we've, um, we've covered an awful lot of horror stories. Make sure you get the pumpkins out. Um, I love a toffee apple as well. I always think toffee apple is a good, um, a good Halloween thing. Trick or treat. If the kids come to your door, don't punch them. Give them some sweets. Uh, and make sure that you leave some kind of sinister lighting on in your house to scare your children. Edward, Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I promise you, there are some podcasts coming up. Nailing the people of quality we want down has been tricky, but we've got some coming. Don't worry. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you have a rare, sporting or iconic vehicle to sell, then contact the Collecting Cars consignment team today and sell with the market leader. And if you're a watch enthusiast, then don't forget to check out the auctions on watchcollecting.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.